Welcome to the podcast of Maranatha Ministries. I'm Rick Frank, Senior Pastor of Maranatha, and I pray you'll be blessed by today's message. You can access all of our church information by going to our website at www.mmchurch.com or on all social media by searching at mmchurch. And now be blessed by listening to today's message. Let's just dive into it today. We're going to go to Ephesians chapter 4. We are in Ephesians chapter 4, and I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 6. The Apostle Paul writing here says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. And from this, I'm going to be preaching a message today entitled, United We Stand, Divided We Fall. Let's have one more word of prayer here before we get into it. Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for bringing us all here to this point and this place to hear this word, Jesus. We pray by your spirit that you would open every heart in this sanctuary, open every mind, open every ear, anoint me and guide me, use me as a willing vessel to impart this word, Lord, and help each and every one of us to grow as saints and as members of the body, and let it be done for your glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everyone said amen. Let's give the Lord one more hand clap of praise here this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Now, Bishop Frank did say that I am his protege, which I would agree with. I may actually take a uh, move out of his playbook today and split this message into multiple parts, as, as he sometimes does. We'll see where we go, though. Amen. Um, I'm sure we're all familiar with the cartoon Peanuts with Lucy and Linus and Charlie Brown and all of them. Well, there was a, an episode or edition or whatever you'd call it of Peanuts one day in which Lucy and Linus were watching TV, and Lucy demanded that Linus change the TV channel. And Linus said, what makes you think you can walk right in here and take over? Lucy said, these five fingers. Individually, they're nothing. But when I curl them together like this into a single unit, they form a weapon that is terrible to behold. Which channel do you want, asked Linus. Then he turned around and looked at his fingers and said, why can't you guys get organized like that? And while comical, I think this, this analogy of the, the five fingers and the fist really does a good job of demonstrating the power of unity compared to the weakness of division. I'm sure we've all done the exercise before where you hold out your hand and try to close any one of your fingers individually, and it can't resist being pried open. Even the strongest finger, the thumb, I can pretty easily pull apart. But when you close your fist together, even if you isolate or try to isolate that same finger, you're not getting it off. It's not going anywhere. There is truly power in unity, unparalleled power in unity. The Word of God again and again emphasizes the importance of unity. If we look at the New Testament alone, we see the Apostle Paul in epistle after epistle exhort the church to unity, call us to unity, emphasize the importance of unity. In the book of Acts, the history of the early church, the word speaks of the believers being with one accord in no less than seven different places in that book alone. And Jesus himself taught us about the power of unity and the weakness of division when he said in Matthew chapter 12, verse 25, 
But Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself will not stand. There is true power in unity, and unity is essential to the function of the church. But to really understand unity, we need to know what unity is and what unity is not. The definition of unity, or the Greek word that is used for unity, means oneness, especially the God-produced oneness between believers, i.e. the harmony from sharing likeness of nature with the Lord. So that's what unity is, but we need to understand that unity and uniformity are two very different things. Unity does not equal uniformity. We're all different. We all have our differences. We're all made differently. We have differences of opinion in a lot of different areas. If you put 10 people in a room, good luck on getting them to agree to anything, about anything. Honestly, if you put my wife and myself in a car, good luck on getting us to agree to where we're going to dinner tonight. Okay? Finally, I learned my lesson and said, the only answer I ever give is wherever you want to go, honey. <laughs> so I'm learning. I'm learning as I, as I get older. <laughs> But uh, so there's so many differences between each and every one of us. But unity is about putting those differences aside and working towards the common good, working towards the good of the body. And we see a great example of this when we look at the 12 apostles themselves. Because here were 12 men who Jesus had called, and really the one big thing they had in common was their love for the Lord, their love for the truth, their following of him, and that was pretty much it. These were men who came from different backgrounds, different vocations. They had different political beliefs. Politics is, you know, it's a hot-button topic. It, it somehow inflames our passions like really nothing else can if you think about it. I mean, when you get ready to go to Thanksgiving dinner or Christmas dinner and you get together with Uncle Louie and Cousin Timmy, those guys who you haven't seen since last Thanksgiving, and you're not going to see him until next Thanksgiving. What's rule number one? You don't talk about politics at the table. No politics. Because it has this way of firing us up and dividing us really like nothing else can. And if you look at the 12 apostles, and two of them in particular, Simon the Zealot and Matthew, you see two people who are on such totally opposite ends of the political spectrum. Completely opposite ends. Now, I think a lot of people would agree that we live in a very divided time in modern America when it comes to politics. Some commentators say this is the most divided this country has been since the Civil War. Now, whether you agree with that or not, I think you can agree that we're certainly in a time of great divisiveness politically. But the divisiveness that we experience in this country nowadays is nothing compared to what was going on in Israel at the time of Jesus. Because you had a nation in Israel that was occupied by a foreign power in the Empire of Rome. And you had a number of different groups who were opposed to this occupation. And one of those groups was the Zealots, of which Simon was a member. That's where we get that term zealous from. The Zealots are what we would call radicals, or what we'd call revolutionaries. They were the most radical of the radicals. These were people who advocated the violent overthrow of their Roman oppressors, no matter what the cost. And not only did they have a problem with the Romans, no, according to the Encyclopedia Britannica, it says they despised even Jews who sought peace and conciliation with the Roman authorities. They didn't just hate the Romans, they hated the Jews who would work with the Romans. And in some ways, they looked down on them even worse. Because here were their fellow brothers who had turned their backs on them, who had sold out to the enemy. And when you look at people who had sold out to the Romans, there's really no group that embodies that better than the tax collectors. 
because these are people who were collecting taxes for the Roman Empire. And Matthew happened to be a tax collector. So if you put Simon the Zealot and Matthew in a room together, the result you would probably expect would be a fistfight. At the very best. That'd be the best case scenario. But that's not what happened. See, they were able to put these differences aside for the good of the body. That's what unity is. That is what unity is. You know, if we look at an orchestra, all the instruments in an orchestra are made differently. Each one has its own strengths and it has its own weaknesses. Nothing can really hit the low note with that power and resonance of a tuba. But it can't hit those high and delicate notes like the flute can. And vice versa. The flute can't hit those low, deep notes, at least. I'm not a woodwinds expert. I don't think it can, though. Not like a tuba can, that's for sure. But it, it hits those high notes with such delicacy and beauty as nothing else does. Each one of these instruments is made differently, but when they play in harmony with one another, what a beautiful sound it is. And it's no different in the body of Christ, because God has made each and every one of us differently, with both strengths and weaknesses. You see, our weaknesses don't catch God by surprise. You know, as Bishop Frank likes to say, there's six words you're never going to hear God say. Gee, I didn't see that coming. He knew your weaknesses before you were even in your mother's womb. He knew the things you would struggle with. He knew what your strengths would be, and he knew what your weaknesses would be. But we need to understand that even those weaknesses can be used for the good of the body. Even those weaknesses can be used for the glory of God. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. All things. Not just the good things. We need to look at our weaknesses as opportunities. Opportunities for us to be uniquely equipped to minister to others. Maybe you struggle with depression. Maybe you struggle with addiction anxiety, whatever it is, fill in the blank, because we all struggle with something. But your struggles uniquely equip you to minister to your brother and sister in Christ who might be struggling with that same thing. You can turn to them and say, you know what? I know what you're going through. I have been there. I've been in it before. And I know it's not easy. But I also know that you are going to come out the other side. So our weaknesses can be used for the good of the body as well. We were all designed with a plan and with a purpose by God. The analogy of the body, the physical body, is one that's used throughout Scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is probably the, the best known and most detailed use of this. And I'm going to read some of it here and just put one verse up on the screen. I mean, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 12, it says, For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? And then I just want to put verse 18 up here where it says, But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. 
God has assembled all of us into the church, into the body of Christ, with our various strengths and weaknesses, just as he pleased. We all have a purpose. Just like the human body, consisting of millions of cells and organs, tissue, nerves, all these systems with their different strengths and weaknesses, they're working together in perfect harmony. And they're all essential to the function of the body. And it's no different in the body of Christ. Every part of the church is essential to the function of the body. Don't ever let the devil trick you into thinking that you don't have a role, that you don't have a plan, that you don't have a purpose. There's a lot of people who hear that from the world. They might call you useless, say you're a loser, say you've got nothing to offer. But I'm telling you right now, God made you with a purpose in mind. God made you to place in the body just as he pleased. We all have a purpose. Every part of the body does. Even those things that at first glance may look useless. You know, if you look at the appendix, I'm not, I'll be honest, I'm not up on all the latest medical literature, so forgive me the nurses in the, off, or in the uh, sanctuary here if I'm wrong, but last I knew, most scientists couldn't really figure out what the appendix did. A lot of scientists actually say it's useless. It has no purpose whatsoever. But what happens if that appendix gets ruptured? What happens if it gets inflamed? What happens if it gets disturbed? The results can be fatal for the body. Fatal. Every part of the body is needed. We all have a place. We all have a purpose in Christ. And we are all called to minister in some way. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 to 12 say, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. It's not just the people who are called to what we call the fivefold ministry there, which is in verse 11, who are called to minister. It says, for the equipping of the saints, all of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. This doesn't mean we're all called to the pulpit. doesn't mean we're all called to preach. doesn't mean we're all called to teach. We're all called to do something, though, and those differences only serve to glorify God and edify the body further and reach the lost more effectively. Just imagine for a second if we were all called to preach, if that was the extent of our calling. I may oversimplify here when I give this analogy, so forgive me, but I think you'll get the point I'm getting at. Just imagine what service would look like if we were all called to be preachers, and that was it. First, I would advise that each and every one of you gets here fairly early because the parking lot's going to be a little chaotic because we have no parking lot attendants out there. We have nobody organizing anything. We have a bunch of preachers who want to get here as quickly as possible and try to get the front row seat for the front row parking spot. So finally, once you get here and fight with the cars in the parking lot, I do hope you brought your machete or at least, you know, a hacksaw or something because those weeds in the front of the building, they're probably 15 feet high at this point because we don't have anybody doing lawn care. So after you hack your way through, you're going to have to probably put your machete under your arm, hold your sermon notes under this arm because you're going to have to open the door for yourself because we don't have an usher. We don't have a greet team. We don't have anybody to welcome you with a smiling face with a warm greeting. And honestly, in this case, that's probably not the worst thing in the world. Because I'm going to say, once you get to that foyer, you're going to want to plug your nose, put your head down, and just make a run for here. Because those bathrooms, yeah, they haven't been cleaned in several years also. 
So finally, finally, you get here into the sanctuary. I don't know what song service is going to look like because we have no musicians. The sanctuary is probably going to be crazy with all the kids running around because we have no Sunday school teachers. But at least we're all called to preach. And look, I'm not saying for a minute. I'm not trying to take anything away from those who are called to preach. So please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But I'm just trying to illustrate the importance of all of these roles. Exactly. When you have a first-time visitor who comes in to the sanctuary, the overwhelming majority of the time, they have made a decision whether or not they are coming back before anybody steps into this pulpit. They're making that decision based on their interactions with our greet team outside and in the foyer. They're going to take a look at the building, subconsciously or consciously when they walk in. They're going to judge it based on the interactions of those saints who might be sitting next to them. So before anybody has preached a word, so many different parts, so many different ministries have touched these people. And that's what these all are, are ministries. You might not be called to be a preacher. You might not be called to be a teacher. Maybe you're called to clean. Maybe you're called to be a teacher's aide. Maybe you're just called to give people encouraging words and hold them up in intercessory prayer. These are all vital roles for the body, essential to the function of the body. And I think I'm going to leave you here with a little cliffhanger, because as we've talked about here, unity is such an important thing. But unity in and of itself, for the sake of unity alone, is not always a good thing. There needs to be a higher purpose. There needs to be a submission to the head. So I'll pick this up in probably a week or two, whether it's next week or not, I don't know. But I'll leave you with that little cliffhanger. But in the meantime, I think we all need to just pray for unity in this body and seek the Lord and find out what he wants us to do. Because I guarantee each and every person sitting in this sanctuary, each and every person watching online is called to something. And that something is important. Every part of the body is important, but every part of the body isn't the heart or the lungs or something like that. You might be a little hidden part of the small intestine, something we don't like to talk about a lot. But if there's an issue there, if that part is missing, I'll tell you what, every part of the body feels it. Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Ministries podcast. If this message touched you, please make sure to subscribe for more sermons from Pastor Frank and the ministry team here at Maranatha, as well as follow us on our social media platforms. We are located in Schenectady, New York, and if you are in the area, we invite you to join us during our weekly Sunday service starting at 10.30 a.m. We look forward to you joining us again next week for another anointed message. Thank you, and God bless.